Hey everybody, it's John. I wanted to remind you that we do have a Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash alien minute. Over there on Patreon, Mitch and I discuss subjects concerning movies and television and just about anything else we want to talk about. So uh, if you want to come over there, you can subscribe for $2 a month for one episode or $5 a month for every episode at patreon.com forward slash alien minute. Thank you. Transmission of unknown origin. Transmission? Out here? SOS. Human. Unknown. Alien. Certificate X. Exclusive engagement at the Odeon Leicester Square. Now. Any systematized transmission indicating a possible intelligent origin must be investigated. In space, no one can hear you scream. Hello and welcome to the Alien Minute Podcast, the daily podcast where we carefully dissect the movie Alien one minute at a time. I'm John Engel. And I'm Mitch Bryan, and today we'll be discussing Minute One, which begins with the 20th Century Fox logo and fanfare and ends with a series of mysterious shapes at the top of the screen. All right. Well, uh, first of all, we want to give a shout out to the guys over at Star Wars Minute, uh, who are the creators of this format. Uh, they've been doing it for a while. They're almost done with, well, by the time this comes out, they will be done with uh, The Phantom Menace. So they're four movies into this format. Um, uh, so if you haven't listened to Star Wars Minute and you like Star Wars, you should definitely check them out. Uh, it's Alex Robinson and Pete the Retailer over there. Uh, you can follow them on Twitter or just head over to StarWarsMinute.com. And, uh, yeah, so Mitch, Alien. Shall I talk about the first time I saw it? I think you should. Let's uh, let's hear your story. Because I'm older than you. Yes. I saw it the night that it opened. Um, I was in high school at the time, and a friend of mine had sort of lost track of the release date. Uh, we'd been following it and, and waiting for it, and I just remember there was this moment where we both looked at each other and realized, oh, this is the day. And so we jumped in the car and had to drive 45 miles to the to the theater in another town because I was in a small town and it was it was opening in in, in Wichita, Kansas, <laughs> and we broke the speed limit and we made it just as the logo was coming up right. and the theater was absolutely packed and it was an extraordinary experience. People were going nuts. They yeah. they were they were reacting. They were screaming. And it wasn't like we're having fun screaming, and people were really, really disturbed <laughs> by the movie. It right. was a terrifying roller coaster of an experience. And if you think about it, not even Jaws was that start to finish intense. I mean, once this thing kicks into gear, it just doesn't stop. And it's constantly throwing things at you that are so surprising. And I don't know that there was anything quite like it. And it set the template, um, I think, for the shock a minute kind yeah. of endurance test many of the reviews at the time were saying that that this was this they endured the movie right. even more than they enjoyed it so right. it's it's a it's a really uh significant piece of cinema history i think sure i mean with jaws jaws had its scares but it didn't set the tone that alien did that that brooding tone all the way through that darkness that um I mean, we were gonna we we're gonna talk about the title sequence as we are in minute one, and it is the title sequence. But even the beginning of Alien really, I don't know, it sets a 
It's like a little slow boil, like I'm waiting for something to happen for minute one. And it's the such whole a movie is just makes you tense. Quiet movie, you know, yeah. and, and, and that beginning, even the way the spaceships moved through space, which we'll talk about later, but looking back towards 2001 with the silence of space, right? which was definitely not the case with Star Wars, which had come mm. out a couple of years earlier. Uh, and so I guess when your logo tagline is... In space, no one can hear you scream. I guess you have to, yeah. to some degree, inv- embrace the vacuum of space. And yeah. I remember those, you know, we'll talk more about the ships when we first see them. But it, it, you felt like you were watching something that was really well thought out and controlled and was going to put you in a place where uh, you, you had no defenses. You, you, were, you were just strapped in for the ride. Yeah. Well, uh, as far as the first time I saw it, being younger than you, as we have already established, um, I saw Aliens first. Um, I was aware that there was a movie called Alien. I didn't know anything about it. It definitely would not have been allowed in my house growing up. But by the time I came to age, uh, middle school age, when I was allowed to rent movies and watch what I wanted, all I cared about was action movies, honestly. And Aliens and science fiction was a big part of that, too, being a Star Wars obsessive my whole life, so... Aliens was right in my wheelhouse. I saw it first. I saw it a lot of times before I saw Alien. And as I was mentioning to you off mic before, first time I was aware of a chestburster scene was from Spaceballs when John Hurt replays the replays it as a bad joke. At the so end you of knew what was coming. When I you knew saw what. It, oh, yeah. totally. I mean, at the, by the time I actually went and rented Alien and watched it, which was probably about ninety two, if I had to guess, I think I was a junior in high school. Um, it was well talked about i had read about its places it was just in the lexicon um so i i knew it was coming it didn't diminish the movie at all to me i'm it wasn't it still wasn't quite my style at the time i think it took a while for me to um to catch on to the more deliberate pacing of it and um and uh not being a big horror movie guy when i was younger either i think that it still kind of fell below aliens in my estimation but um you know, as the years have gone on, it's definitely uh, I can see the genius of it now. Of course, so we'll have two different perspectives here. Totally, but, yeah. Because I want to spend some time as we move move forward in this talking about some of the pre-release hype, the way that the movie was yeah. being marketed and sold, the how the studios were controlling, building the perception of the film, and I can speak, uh, you know, at least as an audience member, to being right there at the time, and 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 I was a prime target because yeah. I loved horror films and and I loved. I loved monsters and movies and all that sort of thing. So I was, I was really uh, the the audience that they were aiming for. Right. You know? Well, we can talk about that. We, you shared with me some of the magazines that you collected when you were younger. So I mean, specifically, uh, we looked at a, the a Starlog, which I I read Starlog when I was younger as well. But um, what were some of the other magazines? I think a couple of them were British magazines. There was a, there was a magazine called Fantastic Films. Right. And then it was getting mainstream coverage from American Film. As well, yeah, uh, and then of course, famous monsters of Filmland and right. all of the spin-offs of that. Uh, so, so I I went through uh, a box and found a lot of magazines yeah. from 1979, yeah. which have some interviews in them and some things that haven't shown up in in other uh, you know compendiums. So it'll be fun to to look at some of those pieces as well. Yeah, sure. All right, well, uh, let's get into the movie itself. So we're in minute one, which as we mentioned, begins with the 20th Century Fox fanfare. And you wanted to say a few things about that. Well, yeah, right? I just noticed that I had thought that it had the CinemaScope extension, which right. is that 
four bars that follows the basic 20th Century Fox um, fanfare that we're used to. And it was it was in, came about in 1954 when The Robe, which was their first CinemaScope release, came out. And of course, Star Wars, we always remember uh, the end of, of the, the fanfare extension right. for it, that. So, it plays over Luke, the Lucasfilm logo, right? Right, exactly. Now that I think about it, yeah. So... Yeah, as soon as when I hear that da 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 da, that's Star Wars. That's the first thing I think of. I think most people probably say the same thing. But so so maybe it was removed for that reason, since maybe. Star Wars was looming so large in everybody's consciousness, or maybe it's more specific to the fact that this was shot uh, with Panavision equipment, right? And and not the the 20th Century Fox patented Cinemascope process. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one way or the other. Um, you got that. You get that logo, and then the movie goes silent very quickly. Right. And that first, uh, that first credit of the Brandywine production, which was uh, Gordon Carroll and Walter Hill's uh, film company that they had set up uh, to to make the movie, uh, comes on, and then we begin to move through um, the cast members. Yeah. So you were. Um saying also that when the movie came out you had some anticipation due to the cast of the film you had uh well we recognized right. everybody that was in it uh, from one movie or another um, sure. tom scarrett from from mash oh, okay uh, and yeah. and certainly um veronica cartwright had just been in the philip kaufman remake of the invasion of the body snatchers right and she was in the birds right so so there was a recognizability there um, and John Hurt had had just um, had just been in Midnight Express and mm-hmm. had been nominated for the Oscar for that. So, one of the interesting things about the cast is that if is everyone in the cast except for Sigourney Weaver had some kind of recognition. So she really was, you know, the newcomer, and and that again made it really interesting. Well, let's see. There's one cast member that doesn't come up till tomorrow, and I'll ask about um, what you knew about him at the time, but. Tom Skerritt, I'd forgotten about MASH for some reason. I I was only thinking about his small part as the cop in Harold Maude. That was the only thing I could think of pre-Alien that I quickly recognized him from being. Uh, I forgot he, uh, does he play Frank in MASH or a similar character to the- Oh, the character, no, in and he's Duke Forrest, Duke, who's the character right, who doesn't show up in right. the TV show. Okay, that's right, yeah. I got, Here we go. I've completely forgotten about that part of uh, Tom Skerritt's career. Okay. Well, did you have any background? I mean, the Tom Skerritt. I mean, that's just. Well, I, I, I think that I know that there was there was there was another film that I that just flew out of my head that that he had been in uh, as well. But I didn't. But I didn't recognize him from that. It really right. was. It really was just from Mash. Yeah. And so he wasn't identified with a genre film. In fact, that's Veronica Cartwright had been identified with a couple of genre films before, but of course nobody else really was. And right. I think that the casting is impeccable. I mean. We'll talk about Yafakota tomorrow, probably, but uh, the fact that uh, he had been in some exploitation movies, black exploitation movies, as well as Live and Let Die, I guess there's a right. little genre touchstone there. Right. But the cast was very legit, believable, well-thought-of actors, mm-hmm. which again adds a certain pedigree to the movie sure. and creates a sense of surprise when it goes where it goes. Right. Well, one uh, we mentioned, uh, well, the next person in the credits is Scorny Weaver, who's the opposite of that. She was not known at all before Alien came out. Um, 
a little background on her. She she graduated from Yale Drama School. She was in uh, the same class as Meryl Streep. And uh, from what I read was very much placed in the second fiddle situation there where Meryl Streep got all the leads and Scorny Weaver, uh, as it was as I read, was always a hooker or something, something uh, less than interesting for a role. And uh, I don't know exactly how that informed the rest of her career, but um, after school, she was in a lot of, she did a lot of theater, did a small part in a long defunct soap opera called Somerset, which I have no idea what that is. And then uh, was cast in, in Woody Allen's uh, Annie Hall, and all that was left of her part was a very, very wide shot of her and, and uh, Woody Allen in front of a theater talking to Diane Keaton. Um, so she was absolutely unknown when Alien came out. And um, obviously, as, as we go along, one of the things that we're going to talk about, I'm sure, is uh, you know, we have the benefit of hindsight. And so many people like myself knew so much about Alien uh, all their lives, having never had the time before it came out to, to build anticipation or have the mystery of a lot of the elements of it so to me i watched alien the first time knowing full well that scorny weaver was the hero of the movie uh we got to talk about you know the way they use her the way she's used in this or especially the early parts of the story and uh uh as i don't know if you'd say subterfuge like are they trying to hide the fact that she's the hero is it more of a structural thing where she becomes the hero naturally I don't know, but uh, it's interesting to talk to someone who didn't know who she was before that movie came out. So, um, yeah, next is Veronica Cartwright. It's next in the credits, and we've talked about her a little bit already. But yeah, um, and I, I have nothing else to say about that. Really, I've yeah. talked about her already. Well, to me, uh, Veronica Cartwright, I didn't realize I I saw the the Philip Kaufman's Invasion of the Body Snatchers for the first time probably about five or six years ago. And recognized her in that. I was like, oh, this is a perfect role for Veronica Cartwright. What I had seen my whole life was the birds and didn't realize it was the same person uh, until very recently. And um, I don't know if you would classify her as a scream queen or anything like that. No, but she's she, definitely she, a panicky. She said after Alien that she didn't want to do any more of these right. kind of movies because she was afraid she was going to get typecast because she had just done Body Snatchers. Sure. Um, th there's another film that ha was really difficult to see but has popped up subsequently on Netflix occasionally, which is a movie called Inserts mm -hmm. um, w that she's in, uh, as well as Jessica Harper and Richard Dreyfuss. And it was rated X because it's about pornography. Um, but it's a fascinating movie, and she's great in it. I mean, she's yeah. a terrific actor. Of course, she's in the right stuff. I mean, there's subsequent performances in, in, in other movies. Um, I, I'm always delighted to see her name in the oh, credits yeah, when will. she shows up in a movie. Yeah, I, we might talk about her a lot. I mean, I'm sure we will, but I have. she's a character of focus for me in this movie. Every time I watch it, I'm fascinated with how she's treated and how and her performance in this particular movie. And I'm a big fan. I'm, a, I'm glad you mentioned the right stuff because I was going to mention that if you didn't. Um, I think she's fantastic in that. I think she's the audience out of that type. surrogate in this movie. In she this she movie, says, yeah. in Alien, she says the things that the audience wants to hear like yeah. let's get out of here now yes, are you crazy what are you talking about um she, you know she's she's pissed off when they get awakened and she realizes they're not in their system um she 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 runs a really identifiable emotional gamut for the audience and so uh we kind of i think we sort of gravitate toward her because she is the most uh she appears to be the most uh, human rational uh ordinary kind of character yeah. and that's saying a lot given how 
hard the movie works to try to make us understand that these are real people living in a real job, uh, you know, that just happens to be in space. Well, I think that, yeah, the other, the characterizations of everyone else as far as these are real blue-collar people in space is more specific to the context of their job or uh, their desire for more money or whatever, things that we can relate to. Hers is raw emotion. Like, hers is fear. Hers are very raw feelings that we can relate to. Um, all the way to even her first line, which we'll talk about in a couple minutes, uh, establishes like a sensory feeling that we're that we can latch onto as well. But we can talk about that later. Um, the next credit would then be who was next? Harry Dean Stanton, right? Harry Dean Stanton, who uh, I'm a giant fan of. Harry Dean Stanton. Um, to me, I th- I always think of him in the context of David Lynch, and I don't know if it's because of Wild at Heart only. Or because he just seems like the kind of guy that ran, runs in that circle, and um, but I always think of him as just that kind of oddball, uh, chameleon-like. He can do anything in your movie. You just ask him, he'll be in your movie, he'll do it, and he'll knock it out. And I think that's one of the things David Lynch likes about him, because uh, I always think of him as Johnny Farragut from Wild at Heart. That's my first. I think that's the first role he was in that I really. I think I saw Wild at Heart before I saw Alien, and uh, I I just latched onto that role, and I think he. He's kind of a humorous, but a humorous center of that movie. But he does Paris, Texas, then, you know, a t- on a totally different side of the coin. Uh, his performance in uh, Paris, Texas, Wim Wenders, Paris, Texas, is he takes the whole movie. He's actually a lead in it, which is very rare for his career. But yeah, I knew him from a couple of westerns that I had seen him in. He'd, he'd been in Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, and he had mm-hmm. been in The Missouri Breaks. And so he was this character actor who would show up along the periphery of a lot of those 70s movies. Sure. Um, and he was, uh, again, you know, there's a comedic aspect of him that works really well in this movie and that tended to work in, in a lot of other films, too. He's he's the guy in Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid when Billy comes back uh, and he goes into the bunkhouse and Harry Dean's in bed with Billy's girlfriend and Harry Dean just kind of gets up and gets out of the bed. <laughs> Billy slides right in there. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think he tells. Well, yeah, he. There's a documentary about Harry. Have you seen that? I haven't seen it. No, but I know there is. I've been I, I to watch it. I should have gotten the name of it before we started recording, but uh, it's on Netflix. Anyone wants to watch it? Hopefully, it's still on Netflix when you're listening to this. Uh, yeah, he tells lots of stories. He's with, with Chris Christopherson telling stories about the set of Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. So definitely yeah, I'll definitely to have to out. watch that. Yeah. Um, and then next up would be John Hurt, who was phenomenal in Midnight Express. He he actually is in A Man for All Seasons, yeah. and he plays this really young character, but he still looks like he's like he, he was hatched at fifty or something. Right. The guy always <laughs> always looked and sounded old, yeah, um, and weather beaten, and and um, and he's again having just come out, having just seen him in Midnight Express, the and my my antennas were up and. And of course, he's he's an extraordinary, extraordinary actor, and apparently was slotted in at just the last minute. That John Finch, uh, who was in Frenzy and and Roman Polanski's Macbeth, was supposed to have played this part, and uh, and got sick, mm-hmm. and um, and they had to they they had they had to let him go, and and uh, I think that they sort of hired John Hurt on a. Friday and he showed up for work on Monday and that was that. Right. Well, yeah, he knocks out of the park for sure. Excellent. Uh, so that brings us to the end of our minute. Yeah, I think that's all we got for minute one. Um, if 
you'd like to follow us on Twitter, we are Alien Minute Podcast. At Alien Minute Pod is our handle. Uh, my handle on Twitter, if you want to follow me, is at OffKilterComps. And uh, you can go to our website, AlienMinute.com, and uh, email me at John at AlienMinute.com if you have any comments. And, of course, uh, subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a five-star review if you'd like. That would be nice. Um, all right. That's it for Alien Minute number one. Thank you. <laughs>